News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC, the New Yorkers podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers, the city. I'm Christina Greer here with Katie Honan. Hello, Katie Honan. Hi, Chrissy. I'm also here with Harry Siegel. How are you, Harry Siegel? I am fabulous. Fantastic. How are you doing? I can't complain. (laughs) I'm among the living and the working, as my grandfather used to say. So we've got (laughs) lots of news to jump into from another jam-packed week in New York City. But first, a word from Harry Siegel. FAQ NYC is part of the city. A nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom serving the people of New York. As a nonprofit, we really depend on your donation to keep going. Our investigations, explainers, reporters, editors, and yes, podcast episodes, they all depend on readers and listeners like you. So please make your gift today. Go to thecity.nyc slash give. Any amount helps, and the best way to support us is with an automatic monthly donation because those really help us plan for the future. If you're already doing that, you can always make a special extra gift. So go to thecity.nyc slash give to make your donation today. Again, that's thecity.nyc slash give. And with that, let's jump right into some of the news from another jam-packed week in New York City. Boom. George Santos expelled from Congress ahead of an election cycle where New York could be key to determining which party ends up in control of the House. Republicans, meantime, are hoping that New York City's new congestion pricing plan will help them keep control of the Long Island delegation. Bam! The Department of Investigation is investigating Eric Adams' ally and City Hall Director of Asian Affairs, Winnie Greco, following reporting by the city, including our own Katie Honan, on allegations that Greco tried to benefit improperly from her government position. Uh, You want a job? help redo my house, et cetera. Um, the FDNY reportedly has serious internal conversations, raising concerns about the Adams administration's push to get big and politically connected developers to the front of a VIP line to get the department to sign off on their building safety. The Daily News reports, as part of a VIP list, the city has denied keeping, even as various outlets have shown excerpts from said list. And former controller Scott Stringer is reportedly eyeing another run for mayor as the FBI investigation of Adams has a number of Democrats considering jumping in, but time is running short for competitors to get going and start showing they can, and then in fact, raising serious money. So with all that, Katie, do you want to fill in listeners? Hey, who maybe don't know all the ins and outs about this story of Winnie Greco about what that is, why it matters, and how it ties in with Eric Adams' issues at the moment. Sure. Yeah, Harry. So, I mean, I'll I'll just start, too, by saying I know a lot of the city stories, there are many bylines on them, and that's because this story in particular was like a real collaborative effort. Our first story, um, and I I would say like I did the least amount of work on it. That's not just me being like, you know... um, Heidi Chu, Yoav Gonan, who did the bulk of the writing, Bianca Pilaro, Tom Robbins, who was with us, who's long on the road at the city. But um, lots of lots of work done in kind of untangling this. Um, and yeah, so essentially Winnie Greco is Eric Adams's Asian-American liaison. She worked in the borough president's office as a volunteer, so unpaid, doing a similar job both under borough president Adams and under borough president Marty Markowitz. She'd previously worked for um, a former assembly member, Felix Ortiz. And, you know, I think in the political sense, she's just a sort of sweet woman who's helping out. But then you just do a little 
Googling and dig- digging and going through newspaper archives. And she actually had lived upstate and was um, at least attempting to be a prominent real estate developer. She was trying to redevelop the mid-Orange County Correctional Facility up in Warwick, working with Warwick businesses to sort of create partnerships with Chinese cities for importing and exporting. I know one of the things was exporting Warwick foods. I think it's just apples. That's where I would sometimes go apple picking as a child. Um, I don't mean to shade Warwick. It's a beautiful, beautiful town, but I don't know what else they have. Um, So that is Winnie. And I know through our reporting, kind of untangling these things about her, you know, we came upon what we saw in the original story reported a former volunteer who wanted to work in the administration and she got him a job. Um, but a lot of the work he did was not really what he thought it would be. It included going up to her home in the Bronx to oversee kitchen renovations. It included translating emails for her. It, you know, these sort of things that were not in his description, job description, working for the mayor's office of immigrant affairs. There was also the allegation of um, she was telling many Chinese American business owners if you want to go to this party at Gracie Mansion, just, you know, give me $10,000 um, to Eric Adams's election campaign. Oh, it's actually not for that. It's for my nonprofit where I'm trying to build a friendship archway between China and the United States in Sunset Park. There's a lot that we, you know, untangled. And I will say for our second story, our follow-up, <laughs> I guess my main role was asking Mayor Eric Adams and his staff repeatedly about Winnie. And his, I had, I mean... He's usually responsive when you ask him questions. He would like clam up when you asked him about Winnie. And finally, last week, I just kept asking about it. And he, you know, sort of copped that there was some sort of investigation. But he initially told, I think, Bobby Cusa soon after our first story was reported that he didn't really know her, which is crazy. So, again, people's reaction. Um, he also last week, in something that I couldn't believe was happening, but it was, it did happen. I asked him, you know, have you spoken to Winnie? And Winnie's Chinese. Um, I said, have you spoken to Winnie since our story came out? And he kind of stumbled, uncharacteristically stumbled and said, when I see her, I say, ni hao, that means hello. And I, I thought the whole thing was very bizarre. So that's where we're at. And Department of Investigation is now looking into these allegations that we've reported on. And, you know, again, whether or not we've also written a story this year about how DOI is sort of toothless in a lot of its investigations, unfortunately, but we'll see where this goes. They could always refer things to other authorities. So we have happily a political science professor here, and there's all sorts of policy stuff going on. But uh, Chrissy. Doctor, doctor. Dr. Greer. Is there a doctor in the house? (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Greer, is the press or other Democrats, are people sort of, in terms of the political implications of what's happening, with this FBI investigation, with straw donors, with all this reporting, in some sense, out ahead of their skis in terms of where Mayor Eric Adams is at nearly two years into his first term. Yeah, I mean, this is the piece that I'm always struggling with, right? There are a lot of issues that the press cares about that your average voter does not. I think that the press is trying to report in a lot of ways so many different angles of this particular administration, whether it's straw donors, whether it's giving perks to the FDNY before you're inaugurated, whether it's a scandal with, you know, a finance chair, whether it's a sexual assault scandal, which doesn't seem to have any legs. Um, 
there's just there's whether there's a management issue or budget cuts. Voters traditionally in political science literature go to the polls based on pocketbook issues. Is the FDNY scandal a pocketbook issue by and large for most voters? No. You know, there's a Brooklyn high school that, you know, was delayed in their servicing. Sure, that that's important, but like, is it a pocketbook issue? Not really. Is a sexual assault scandal a pocketbook issue for voters? Not so much. Um, you know, Winnie sort of pay-to-play scandals. Again, I ask you all almost every week, you know, what is the threshold for corruption yeah. in American politics? There's so many voters who are just like, I mean, politicians are corrupt. Like, there's just... There's an assumption that they're corrupt, I should say. And so does this just kind of fall under the umbrella of corruption that people have grown used to and accustomed to and comfortable with, dare I say, especially New York, since we've had so many politicians um, go to prison on the Albany level, they're kind of immune to it. And then in some ways, Donald Trump has made the nation immune to levels of corruption. Now, with budget cuts, though, that is different. You know, I've always said Mayor Adams and his flag raisings when he's on, I think he's on number 58 or 60, right? Those matter. He's touching communities. We know people will vote for someone even if they've met them one time. So that does matter. Um, But for budget cuts, if his opponent, whomever they may be, whether it's in a primary or a general, can articulate to the public that they don't have because of Eric Adams, not because of Joe Biden, not because of Kathy Hochul, not because of some larger forces in American politics, but because of this particular mayor and either his inaction or ineptitude, then that does matter. I don't think we're necessarily there just yet. These are there's certain conversations where we don't really have them. Most voters, honestly, don't pay attention until yeah. October, right? We care about these things, but I'm Keenly aware when I teach my students, it's like, what you think is important doesn't necessarily mean what the masses think are important. And also, what you want to happen is not the same thing as what will happen. So just because you desire, possibly, for Eric Adams to leave office in either disgrace or by his own will and volition, that doesn't mean that that's going to happen. We don't necessarily have a precedent um, in New York as far as mayors as them going to prison. Other cities do. You know, I'm thinking about Baltimore, I'm thinking about New Orleans. Um, And we do have a precedent of black mayors going down more so than white mayors. So that adds in this little asterisk to the analysis. But we're sort of, A, a little early in the game. B, we don't know what a challenger looks like. We've got lots of people, you know, coming from the left. I do think a, a moderate challenger would be more of a headache for Eric Adams and more of a concern than someone from the left. Uh, but then see, it's not 2025 yet. And I think 2025 is the conversation. I think a lot of people honestly are just like, we got to survive November of 2024 before I can actually think about anything else. Because honestly, if this country doesn't get 2024 correct, I don't know what the future of American cities looks like, especially in New York City. Weird thing about timing, talking with some of the Adams people yesterday after I wrote a column about uh, his poll numbers which are not great, and which show that that a pretty significant majority of New Yorkers think he did either something illegal or unethical involving Turkey and straw donations. Um, You know, they're making the point that it's 2023, yes, December 2023. Next filing thing, by the way, is in January. Mm -hmm. And that if people want to run against him, they have to start raising money pretty soon. 
And ahead of that, they need to demonstrate for most of them that they're capable of raising serious money. You know, one of those, uh, you can't get a job without experience, experience without a jobs thing. So that there is something of a clock right now for people who might want to do this to sort of hit a minimal threshold to prove that they can. This may be forcing some of the early action and necessitating people getting ahead of what's going to happen with this investigation, as we've seen with Brian Benjamin most recently, who is still a convicted felon, but only for covering up. The non-crime of corruption, uh, his corruption conviction got overturned on appeal. Like these cases are really super hard to make. And you can be pushing the edges of things ethically or otherwise. uh, But if you're paying attention to the rules and not saying, I accept this donation in exchange for it, I'm going to do this official act. There's not necessarily a crime there. And obviously that's not any of that is particular to Adams. But I'm just saying. People jump from there's an investigation to, oh, well, clearly they got this guy for something now. And I don't know that's the case. I don't think Adams knows that's the case. I'm not sure federal prosecutors know if that's the case. The people thinking about running certainly don't. But they have every reason to treat it that way now so that they can start demonstrating support to put themselves in a position. If things do play out in that direction, they're they're able to run. So it is a weird timing thing and ahead of, obviously, the 2024 elections. And I think there's a difference between being unethical and illegal. No doubt. You know, and and I think Katie brought this up uh, either last week or two weeks ago where, you know, she's talking to a young guy at Carvel and he's like, oh, you know, he's putting pieces together from news that he's heard. And so this is very early in the game. I also think, sure, are there a lot of donors who are waiting in the wings because they want to just have an influx of cash for uh, a challenger? Because Eric Adams for the white political elite He wasn't their choice. He's not their guy. They don't know anybody who knows him. They don't know him. He seems like a wild card. Um, He's not sort of the type Mm -hmm. of black politician they're accustomed to. The list goes on and on. So could someone raise money relatively quickly? I think that is possible. Could several someones raise the amount of money that they need to be a force by, say, July 2024? That makes it a little more difficult because I can't see a scenario where the progressives coalesce around one person, or if one person decides, you know what, I'm going to challenge this mayor. Fortune favors the bold. Let me just get my Obama on and like challenge the person that nobody's going to do it. I don't see a scenario where one person does it and other folks are like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let that one person be the person who could possibly, you know, be the 111th mayor of New York City. I'm just going to sit in the sidelines and maybe wait another 8 to 12 years for my shot. I don't see that. And I think especially if, with ranked choice, right? Especially with ranked choice, because it's such a mixed bag. We still have relatively, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but the rel- relatively very little education on what it is and how it plays out. We also know we have abysmal turnout numbers when it comes to municipal elections. I mean, general, but municipal elections are really embarrassing for our Democratic Republic. So if one of the state senators jumps in, I can't see a scenario where the others don't, or some independently wealthy person, or some unemployed former politician who's looking for their next gig. Um, I see it as a crowded field, and then a possible scenario where we look like 2021 where Eric Adams is like, okay, like here I am, you know, does it make it harder for him to say I can steady the ship just because some people, a lot of people don't feel like, you know, the city's going in the right direction. But then again, it's not 2025. 
Um, he has time to craft a message and a vision, um, and he can talk about managerial skills. I mean, this is one of those jobs that's, you know, as presidents have said, is the hardest job in the country. Uh, nobody really knows how to do it until they do it. Uh, and if, it really, they- if then, but it really does boil down to how do voters feel, right? Do they feel pushed out? Do they feel broke? Do they feel anxiety about housing mm-hmm. security and schools and crime uh, and law and order and all the things that Eric Adams was really good at articulating a vision of during uh, the debates um, because he was the only cop on the stage, right? I mean, we had, you know, we talked about Sean Donovan, we talked about Ray McGuire. These are people who didn't really know slash understand municipal politics. You know, you you had, you know, Maya Wiley to a certain extent who who worked within an administration but didn't necessarily, she was never an elected official. Um, same with Catherine Garcia, right? I mean, you're appointed, not elected. There's a difference. Uh, and then there's, you know, same with Diane Morales. And then there's Scott Stringer, who quite honestly was the only other elected official on that stage. So, and the voters said, no thanks. So when you look at ranked choice voting. So I I think, one, this is an early part of the conversation. Two, we have to understand, you know, Voters have a very short memory. Americans have a very short memory. If some of these investigations go away, um, if Lady Greco goes away, by the time we're looking at, you know, a primary uh, election, some of the stuff might not matter if it's not a pocketbook issue. Just speaking of going away, (laughs) as we're recording, uh, Katie Onan uh, was noting on a DM channel that uh, George Santos, who... uh, (laughs) Has gone away from Congress, but is definitely not trying to go away. I don't want to burn too much of our oxygen or brain share on this dude. Uh, but he is now, as I predicted, on Cameo. It's 75 bucks a pop. He says there's only 146 videos left, which I take to be a shorthand for four people. And if you're one of them, please reach out and let us know why. Share what you got. You know um, that's what I'm getting you all for, for Hanukkah and Christmas, right? You do I know have, that that's what you got. I have, I have, I have a Rob Blagojevich video that showed up out of the blue. I was not expecting that a friend sent me for my birthday, um, in which he, among other things, for $75, confesses that the P-tape is real. If if I could point something <laughs> out, as someone who checked, I check Cameo often because I think it's absurd, and I've actually ordered Cameos for a friend's I have. Ex- Ex-boyfriend, he didn't deserve it. Um, Wait, which one did you order? I ordered the stupid fucking Syracuse, ooh, Syracuse masks, that stupid orange thing. Oh. I hate Syracuse. And like this, it was so poorly <laughs> done. And because the mascot can't talk, they just wrote a note on oh. like, the whiteboard. And b- with a reflection, you couldn't really see. I almost wanted a refund. Well, and I'm didn't gonna come s- in time. I'm going to say I paid a lot of money during lockdown for my god sister and Harry and Ozzy Paper will appreciate this. I paid for Ghostface Killer wow. to send a cameo to my god sister, who's a second grade teacher, who was obviously during COVID, you know, yeah. as as almost every single teacher in the country was feeling just very overwhelmed and overworked and all the things. And when I say that this was the best minute and a half of my life, like I adore. Ghostface Killer, and he did a fantastic job. The only thing he said was, Kelly, he's like, am I pronouncing that right? (laughs) I was like, it's K-E-L-I. And he was like, hey, Kelly, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I was like, you're the best Ghostface. And he just talked about earth and water and rocks and nature. It's fantastic. So yes, you all are getting cameos for the holidays. 
That's just what it is from George say, Santos. Th- so the George Santos, I have another friend who got one. She'd broken her leg, was really down. And she got one from Sonia Morgan of the Real Housewives of New York. And Sonia said something that was so insightful. I started tearing up. She said, you know, I know things look rough, but life is a circle. Just when you think you're at the bottom, you're actually on your way back to the top. I don't know why I found that so insightful. But yeah, I, I think George Sanders' cameo is pretty cheap. I don't know. Maybe like they set the, the price. I think a lot of people do that. They create like a limit, like a quota. Like I'm going to do X amount. So it ends. I know some people say I'm going to be on cameo for like two weeks. But I find 75 bucks is not that much money. Like he should, you know, the nanny, Fran Drescher, is $1,000. Like She's also the, office, the head of WGA. She is. And and she's but like just I'm not comparing it. I mean she should be a thousand dollars. But George Santos, I don't know if the cameo set him at seventy five. Well, I think yeah, also the more you get, right? Doesn't that bump up your maybe. rate? You know, I think you sort of have a baseline rate, and I think they sort of kind of calibrate where they think you are. But then if you get a whole bunch, because I know like some of the the lesser known actors from The Office started off low, and then because they were so great and they did such great cameos during lockdown, then all of a sudden their prices increased. Ghostface is Ghostface. But also, yeah. I had to wait like three weeks because he had so many requests. He needed time to actually, because he's thoughtful. Whereas I know RZA was doing them from like the back of his car. Which right. It's still, still a cameo, but you know, he's like in being driven like in an Uber and he's knocking him out. If I could, while we're still on the George Santos topic, and I know we don't, don't want to talk about him for too long. I might have ranted about this when this he was first selected and the first reporting on how everything he said was a lie come out in the New York Times. A lot of the highly, I'll say, overpaid political consultants who worked on his opponent's campaign in the general, they delighted in this, we told you so, the press, the press failed, the press failed. And obviously, as a reporter, um, I'm going to feel really sensitive about that. But I I think this George Santos, his win was such to me, it should have been a lesson for these, again, overpaid political consultants who get gig and gig and campaign and campaign after year after year, even when they're not very good. It's like, look, there are more political consultants than there are reporters. And the fact that the oppo team against George Santos, all they could really seem to figure out was he likes Trump, like especially for Democrats, people don't care about that anymore. Mm-hmm. stop this obsession. So that was my sort of rant on, but yes, go ahead, Chrissy. I'm sorry to, uh, I just have a question for you because when George Santos won, I thought it was less of a failure necessarily of the press, but more of the democratic party establishment 100%. who should have done this yep. research on this man who is the Baruch star volleyball player who had a job where he made what 30 or $50,000 and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden had $750,000 mm-hmm. in his account. I mean, these seem like real basic low level. Let's just do quick digging. So like who's running the democratic party in long Island where it's like, let's vet this guy because he's come out of nowhere. You can talk to him for five minutes and tell that he's unhinged. So uh, I know that the, the local press was like, listen, don't look at me, Ricky Bobby. We've been talking about this dude. Like it's not our fault, but what is the point of a Democratic Party establishment if they're not going to do their homework? No, and and that that is the problem. I think it was very close. A lot of the people, and I won't name names, but people who were very publicly on Twitter, like, we we told you guys and that this was a failure of the press um, when it was a failure of the, the Democratic Party. And a failure of these people who make a lot of money. Like, mm-hmm. it's simple vetting. I think this sort of, what is it, Trump, Trump derangement syndrome? People's obsession, right, with Trump on a, on either end. 
if you're the Dem, you, you're not going to try to win or sway a Republican voter or even like a more conservative Democratic voter who's sick of the Demo- Democratic Party but hasn't changed their voter registration. You're not going to convince them with like, George Santos retweeted Donald Trump's crazy tweet. No, 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 no. That's so stupid. And that's why I was very, I, I was so livid at, you know, and I will say he, his district is mostly Long Island. So now I really felt less guilt because we just covered the city. But yeah, like there's not a lot of reporters anymore. <laughs> I think we all could be working harder, doing better. But at the end of the day, like there's more people working at, I'm not going to name a firm, you know, working on these campaigns. And I've seen people on these campaigns and it's like, you know, they get paid a ton of money, especially like in a council seat where you, not that this was, but like any seat with matching funds. I'm always like, man, you could really lose 10 elections in a row and keep getting work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can I jump in here for one second? So, so Joe Biden has this line he tributes to his dad. He says, my dad used to say, Joey, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative, right? And th- that's what elections are. Yeah, I have increasing issues with the two-party system, with the way in which so many of these contests get decided in primaries. Uh, Peter King, former uh, you know guy from Long Island, uh, you know, just put out a thing being like, it wasn't the Long Island Republicans' fault. Santos was a Queens guy, which is nonsense. The district is mostly in Long Island. And the Long Island people that they think they're going to win just didn't really bother. This guy got suggested, oh, he has his own money. Great. Good enough. So you have, why didn't the press do its job? Why didn't other campaigns do their job? Why didn't the Republican Party do their job vetting? Everyone is leaning on somebody else. To go back to Adams for a second, and the space between the unethical and the illegal. It seems to me that Adams has done some unethical things from my perspective. Not uncommonly unethical, by the way, but definitely unethical. That bothers me. I can say with certainty, as Chrissy is saying, most voters don't care. That's not the choice they're making, and they want some outside thing to make that determination for them. It could be, well, you know, did Bill de Blasio get charged by the prosecutors? No. And so when those prosecutors then say, Bill de Blasio violated the spirit of the law, right? And and uh, this is no good, but we're not going to charge him. De Blasio says, I've been totally exonerated. And nobody, including Scott Stringer, who's controlling and considering it, actually runs against him when he runs for a second term. So we have a system in which everyone is counting on somebody else to do this work mm and do this vetting, and voters aren't really considering or dealing with any of this stuff for themselves. It's either, ah, that guy's already there, and it's more or less good enough or not. And I think that this is really bad and damaging, even if it means we get some hilarious cameos from former political actors over the years. Um, But building up a system in which people actually think about these things is hard. And Chrissy, it's even harder with 2024 looming and with Every national election seeming totally apocalyptic. If those people win, that's it for democracy. In that setting, you're not that worried if somebody's a little unhinged, a little ridiculous, if they don't actually carry the values they want, as long as they're, especially at like the congressional level, right? They're not the other person. They're going to vote with their party. That's good enough. And that opens the space for these characters like Santos. I think more with the Republicans for a bunch of reasons. I think they have less fidelity to sort of basic facts and less interest in policing themselves. Last thing I'll say here is, interestingly, all the, 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 these people now, you know, sort of farther to the right, the Steve Bannons, among others, are like, it was a huge mistake to uh, eject Santos. And there's some smart, moderate people who think so, like the Daily News editorial board. And they're just like, 
the, the Congress has to make its own ethical decision before voting to take someone out. Up till now, that's always happened, or someone was a traitor who'd worked for the Confederacy. And with Santos, they didn't. They said they couldn't because there's a, a criminal investigation, but they, they let that threshold slip. Um, there has to be something in which, you know, voters' judgment actually matters for something. Or it just gets harder and harder to justify having a democracy and all this democracy dies in in darkness stuff. If voters don't care all that much about who they're electing, what the purpose of this exercise is becomes less and less clear. And most of the time, by the way, it doesn't matter that much because if you have uncontested primaries where where that person is definitely going to be the the party's avatar and it's just a question of which party you're going to vote for and nobody's even looking at the candidates – you don't have any vetting, and you end up with this level of ridiculousness, and it's very depressing. I think all this is obvious to anyone listening to a podcast like this. <laughs> the question is how you engage a broader public to actually care and to want to be interested in these things. And of course, most people are generally just going to be interested in, hey, how much uh, how much is my uh, paycheck buying in groceries? Am I feeling more squeezed or less squeezed? And that's it. But that's not new. And prior to that, we've had something closer to a functional democracy. And my big challenge I'm trying to reckon with and ahead of this coming national election is how we get back closer to that. And I I don't think it's easy. And I think separate from the stress test that people like Trump are immediately creating on the system, that fixing some of that damage and finding a way to get people engaged in their own governance, like you you either do that or some strong person is going to come in and just make those decisions. I think inevitably and and while that happens we can all watch george santos on dancing with the stars seasons 27 or whatever right but then you know who's the uh the trump uh spokesman who was on dancing with the stars who was like a total oh. liar another oh. liar what's his yes. name you know what i'm saying he's like balding yes not scaramucci uh, no i know no 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 not scaramucci sean spicer yeah spicer right so it's like i think about this question a lot harry i mean like in the list of things that keep me up, you know, snakes, rats coming through my toilet, like, you know, <laughs> things that- That's the last make... one's a myth. They can't. I don't know. I feel like I saw something on the interwebs. Um, you know, I have some <laughs> irrational fears. But this one is, you know, when you look at the numbers, say, from, you know, the 80s and 90s, when people participated in municipal elections, and we've, percentage-wise, and we've drastically decreased those numbers. You know, there are two things I think Ray McGuire found out. It's like super poor people and super rich people don't vote because neither one of them feel like anything changes depending on who's in office, right? I mean, for poor people, they're like, I'm so poor, it doesn't matter, Democrat versus Republican, which I think is false. But they're just like, you know, politics is so against me, what's the point? Super rich people are like, politics doesn't affect me. I'm still going to get these tax breaks no matter who's in office, so... You know, what are you going to do? Um, and I think Ray McGuire found that out when lots of people are like, I voted for you. He was like, really? If you did, it, the numbers wouldn't have been the numbers. So then you've got this middle group, some of whom are just so disaffected, where it's like it's a cesspool of degenerates. Everyone's either, you know, a boob grabber or a thief. So why would I participate in this um, in this whole spectacle? You have other people who just feel like nothing really changes, which I think is incorrect and incomplete, but that's their lived reality. And, you know, they're living paycheck to paycheck, and it doesn't really seem as though either party is working for them or people are just working for the next office um, because we constantly see politicians who don't go away, right? Even after de Blasio 
leaves the mayoralty, he runs for Congress, right? We're constantly seeing names being recycled of people who just see this as a permanent job that they're entitled to and not public service where it's time to pass the baton, as is evidenced by the number of octogenarians and septuagenarians in our national politics and even in our local politics. Even if they're doing great work, it's, you know, and listen, I love Gail Brewer. Don't get me started. I think that she's like a public servant of all public servants. We'll go down in history as, I think, one of the great New Yorkers of the late 20th, but now 21st century. So it's one of those situations where it's like, Gail Brewer, you have so much institutional knowledge. You've represented your constituents beyond. So then pass the baton. Let somebody in your district run. Like, you don't necessarily have to run. That's you know, and I hope I'm not sounding ageist uh, here. But, you know, I think that that's part of the reason why a lot of my students, especially, don't see themselves in politics and don't see the need to participate in politics because everyone is their grandparents' age and they see politics as something that's for those older people over there who do it, even though so many of those choices and de- decisions, whether it's rent, education, debt forgiveness, you know, job creation, you name it, directly affect them them in ways that, you know, I'm trying to explain in a short 16-week course. Who octogenarians running against each other for president is some serious late Soviet Union vibes. Katie's got to move her car for alternate side parking. I got to go to the city's editorial meeting. Chrissy has a schedule that, that uh, I sigh just even thinking about and keeps it incredibly. So we're going to leave it there. I'm just going to say uh, stick around until after the credits to hear uh, Rob fucking Golden Blagojevich um, give love to the Mekons, oddly enough. And, and of course, you can hear a full John Langford concert if you go to the FAQ episode, A Mare, A Mekon, and Music from March. And with that, uh, we'll figure out how to fix uh, democracy and society next episode. So stay tuned. F-A-Q. Womp womp. Bang. FAQ NYC is part of the city, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting journalism that serves the people of New York. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to support our work is by setting up a monthly recurring donation by going to thecity.nyc slash give. If you already make a monthly donation and want to add a special one-time gift, you can also do that at thecity.nyc slash give. As ever, FAQ's work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc, and the pod also receives support from PT Knitwear, an independent bookstore, cafe, and event space on Manhattan's Lower East Side, with a podcast studio that can be freely reserved for community use. The podcast is a proud member of the Brookhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists, and is affiliated with the Colin Powell School at CUNY City College, where I am one of the Moynihan Public Scholars Inaugural Fellows. Our hosts for this episode were me, Dr. Christina Greer, Katie Honan, and Harry Siegel, who's also our executive producer, and our engineer, Adam Kamara. Thank you, dear listener, for joining us, making it this far. Be kind, be cool, be warm, be dry, and we'll be back soon with more. Hi, Harry, this is Ron Blagojevich, and your friend Tim asked me to send along a simple message to you, and here it is. It's a simple message. It's this. The P-tape is real, my friend. People are saying it's not, but it is. And it's more than that. It's effing golden. And whatever you do, Harry, trust the Meekins.